You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Oh, you're doing so good. Watch a toddler as he learns to walk, and you might learn something too. This kid. This lesson taught during a play date in the park. Well, sir. By a fearless little boy named Duke. Good job, buddy. And life knocks you down. Get right back up. Good job, Bubba. And while that alone would make any parent proud, let's go back up. Amanda Scorions knows the knocks Duke has endured are unmatched. He is a light and something that was so dark and sad in a lot of people's lives. Only the cast on Amanda's foot does mother and son move forward. That's all we do is mommy falling. Gives you a glimpse into their painful past. It was March 22nd, 2014. The day Amanda and Duke rode out a massive landslide that killed 43 of their neighbors in Oso. And then I looked out our front door and it was like a movie. Houses were exploding and the next thing I remember, well the next thing I see is our neighbor's chimney coming into our front door. And I turned and I held Duke and I did not let him go. When the earth finally stopped moving, Amanda was pinned beneath furniture, heavy debris, and what was left of their home. And five-month-old Duke had a skull fracture. He was dirty and a little blue. And I thought I was losing him. She had no choice but to place her whole world in the arms of a stranger, seen here carrying Duke to safety. Who do we got? Yes, we do. The next hour for the new mom was agonizing as she awaited her own rescue and worried about her precious baby boy. We had a baby with Where's the baby? Already out. And it was months before Amanda was ready to watch this video taken by the Snohomish County helicopter crew who strapped her to a backboard. Open it up. And took inventory of her injuries. Broken arm, broken ankle with a heavy laceration to the foot. A memory that will haunt her forever. Hi, Amanda Scorians. Nearly a year later, life for this still healing family is a constant cycle of hospital visits and physical therapy. Okay, go ahead and relax. X-rays show you the screws that are now holding together Amanda's shattered ankle. She's been through 10 reconstructive surgeries already. Oh, are you sleepy? And doctors are far from finished. That's pretty painful for uh-huh. you. I'm sorry. It never gets easier. I realize that pain's going to be forever, but it just sucks. Yet every time the tears start to fall and the road to recovery starts to look like a dead end comes a moment like this. Keep going. Duke's first steps, shaky but swift. Boy. His first birthday, his first trip to see Santa. Duke defies the odds every single day. And they said he's doing great. His injuries are all healing up good. You wanna go back up? And every milestone this now 16 month old hits serves as motivation for his mother. I mean, the second I see him, I smile every morning. In a lot of ways, Amanda believes the same is true for the people of Oso. He's the light. He's that little bit of hope that everybody had. Duke is the success story. His heartbroken hometown. Uh, sir? So desperately needed. Yay! 
the brave little boy turned landslide survivor. He emerged from the mud, a pint-sized picture of perseverance. He has touched more people in the year that he's been here than he'll ever know or even begin to fathom. Yeah. How good. If you're a parent, um, that's just really shaky to watch, to hear, to think about. Um, there's a story very much like Amanda and Dukes about another family in Southern California, very young family, who husband and wife woke up in the middle of the night and said that it sounded like a train was going through their house. And in reality, what it was was a mudslide. And they got up to find their house being ripped in two, and the part of their house that was being swept away, their baby was in. And um, they got family, friends, neighbors, flashlights, began searching for their child in the midst of all that still going on, putting themselves at risk, um, had no luck. Well, I want to read to you um, what the article says happened next. When morning came, a rescuer, himself completely covered in mud, came to the parents with a mud-caked bundle in his arms, filthy but alive. You know what that mother then did. She clung to her child despite its filth, washed the muck away, and determined to keep the child out of the mud in the future. This story helps me better understand God's grace and my warranted response to it. Um, Titus chapter 2 Verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. How often, how deeply do you think about grace? How, How often do you consider the ramifications of God's grace. When we talk about grace, it helps for us to maybe define and all understand, well, what are we describing here? When we talk about grace in terms of God, in terms of what his word declares um, of him and about him, grace is the unmerited favor of God toward those who don't deserve it. The unmerited favor of God. And unmerited means that we've done nothing to deserve it, we've done nothing to earn it, yet he extends it to us. Grace forfeits or annuls, if you will, our works as the means of securing and maintaining God's affection and moreover, our own salvation. So grab a hold of what I just said. God's grace does away with the idea that you and I can work to earn that. Understanding this, though, our flesh, our human inclination is to at some point think and consider, well, okay, so if my good works don't determine God's grace, his affection, my salvation, then why do they matter? Why do my works matter? Here's why. When the filth of my sin was sweeping me away helplessly, to eternal death and separation from God. God covered himself 
in the mud and the muck of this world to rescue me, to embrace me despite my filth. And now, understandably, he wants me to stay out of the mud. Biblical grace makes us intolerant of willingly returning to the very things that it saved us from. And so as Christ followers, the Apostle Paul calls us to what we're going to call intolerant grace. Last week, um, Paul charged Titus with teaching sound doctrine and to seeing that generationally in the church, sound doctrine was being passed on, that discipling was happening. And we said that healthy doctrine is the normal diet of healthy disciples. Well, in the words that follow what we looked at last week in Titus chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, the reason why I'm charging you with sound doctrine, the reason why generationally you need to make sure that it's being passed on, that older men are influencing and discipling younger men, and that older women are discipling and influencing younger women, and that all of us and everything that we are doing are, are seeking to move in God's direction is so that, in verse 10, he says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That we should adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In my house, we have this really, really big blank wall. And it's very big, very tall, it's so big and tall that it's one of these things where you either have to just very carefully and selectively place something on it or you got to cover the whole thing. Well, so my wife found this really cool piece of art that's not really that big, but it's this piece of wood and has metal cut out in the middle of it that says tree and roots to it. And you walk into my house now and you see that. That thing, that piece of art it didn't make the wall any prettier. The wall is the wall. It's like taupe. I mean, what can you do with that, right? But it's adorning the wall. So grab a hold of this. Somehow your life and mine are supposed to draw attention to the beauty and the glory of God. That we would adorn the doctrine of God. This morning, we're going to see and hear Paul explain what it looks like to do that, why it's so eternally important, and how it should lead us to this intolerant grace. So dive in here with me in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Again, Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. You know, the grace of God is more than just one of his characteristics or attributes. It is most certainly one of those things. But it's more than just that. What does Paul very specifically say here? The grace of God did what? Appeared. Why, why would he use that word? Here's why. Because Jesus Christ is the grace of God personified. If you look in the beginning of the Gospel of John, John was um, obviously the poetic of the disciples. 
Because John, in the very beginning of his gospel, John 1, 1, he begins describing Christ coming into the world, and he uses these words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, the Son, uh, was the Word, he was with God, and he is God, and then it says in verse 14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The unmerited favor of God toward wicked, rebellious sinners, us, delivering us from death and condemnation, appeared in and through the person of Jesus Christ. So Paul goes on, he says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." Titus, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. There is much to understand and embrace about the redeeming and rescuing grace of God in and through Christ. One thing for us to grab a hold of is the the point. What's the point of God's grace toward us? And we talk about the point. Another word we could use there would be the goal. What was God's goal in this? What was his point in his grace? Um, Well, so God's point is to save us from our sin. That you and I might be rescued. So that's the goal. Well, on our staff, we talk a lot about how goals are great. We need to know like what it is that we're aiming for, where it is that we're headed. But we also talk about how most goals without a plan, they're just a good dream. You've got to pray and think through not only where are we going, what's, what's in front of us, but how are we going to get there? If the point of God's grace is to save us from ourselves and our sin, then the plan to get there is that Jesus Christ would redeem us, that Jesus Christ, who was God, would become one of us, would get down in the mud, if you will, rip us up, clean us off, and present us back to the Father. Kind of like that rescuer handing his, the woman's child back to her. In understanding this, we understand that our eternity, our future, has been changed. How is that? Well, because the penalty of sin has been lifted. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have entrusted your life to him, your eternity and your future have been completely altered because the penalty of sin has been lifted. But we also understand that not just the future and eternity has changed, but so has the present, the here and the right now. That's changed as well. And the reason for that is because the power of sin has been defeated. The penalty of sin has been lifted. The power of sin has been defeated. And so, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Verse 12, 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. The grace of God gives us the strength and the ability to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. If you look with me for a moment in Romans chapter 8, very, very difficult thing to just read one verse in Romans chapter 8, but we're going to do it. Paul says in verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. We have the power through the Holy Spirit to walk in victory over sin, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. But Paul does not stop there. Also training us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Paul reminds Titus that Christ did not just save us from, that he also saves us to. Jesus Christ did not just save you, did not just save me from sin. He saves me to righteousness. And so Jesus is not only changing our standing with God, which we would call our position. He is changing that. Jesus has changed our standing and our position with God. But not only that, Jesus is changing our state, our condition, purifying us from sin. This is what the word of God calls sanctification. Now, again, I I referenced this a few minutes ago. I want to reference it again. I think that you can begin to ask a question of, okay, if I know that my eternal position and my standing with God is taken care of, then why should I really be concerned with my temporary condition or the state I'm in, if you will? Well, friends, when you realize that you were rescued from the grip and the curse of evil, when you realize that you were rescued from condemnation of sin and separation from God against which you were totally helpless to do anything about on your own, I I believe that this strengthens your resolve to say, I will not go back there. I'm not going to go back there. Paul says that when we understand who we were, who Christ is, and what Christ has done, this radically changes what we're hoping, what we're waiting, and what we're living for. Verse 13, Paul tells us, he says, because of this, because of the grace of God, he's training us up for this as we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's when we're living our life waiting for our blessed hope. See, it's when you and I are living a life of anticipation that my hope is not in anything of this world. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness and that he is coming again for me. When I am living with this blessed hope that I have in my great God and Savior, this is when I find myself renouncing ungodliness 
and worldly passions. This is when I find myself most pursuing the Lord that I might live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. Waiting, anticipating, hoping, longing. So verse 14, we're waiting for our blessed hope, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So Paul brings us around to this question of why should I care about the temporary? Why should I care about my state, my works, if my position and my standing, they're already, they're locked in, they're, they're, they're a done deal. Paul tells us here that the evidence, the evidence, the fruit, that this is who and what I am waiting and hoping and longing for, that it is the person of Jesus Christ, that the evidence and the fruit of that is displayed in my good works. That Jesus' life is coming to life within us as we are renouncing the way of the world, what we came in here like, and that we are pursuing to live and walk like him. Jesus is purifying us, refining us, that we might be more like him. Jesus himself said, I'm doing this in you and through you, that you might shine like a city on a hill. The apostle Paul, he said that we are called to shine like stars in the universe. That's pretty bright. Look with me for a moment in Daniel. We don't go to Daniel very often. But look with me in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel's in the middle of the Bible after Psalms. Remember, Daniel was a young um, Jew. He was, uh, when Babylon def- came in and, and sacked Jerusalem, Daniel and his friends were taken to Babylon. They were exiles there. Daniel was a young man who faced all kinds of different persecution, always stood in faith. Um, found favor with several different kings because he lived an upright and godly life in a place where that really wasn't the popular thing to do. But as Daniel is coming to the closing here of, of his book, he's been given a vision of the end. And I want you to hear what he says in a couple of these verses. Daniel 12, beginning in verse 2. He says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise, those who put their faith in God, those who seek to walk after God, those who place their lives underneath him, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. And now listen to this. And those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. Why is this important? Why is is this relevant to this morning? What does this have anything to do with Paul's letter to Titus? Everything. 
Because see, Paul is just echoing and reverberating what the Lord has already said through Daniel. My people, my disciples will not only live righteously themselves, but will turn many to righteousness. That our lives would lead others to see who Christ is, that we would adorn the doctrine of God. Do you understand that if the doctrine of God, which would be theology, which would be the understanding of God, is the word of God, and we understand that Jesus himself is the word of God, then to adorn the doctrine of God means that my life is exuding Jesus Christ. And friends, when that happens in my life and yours, we will turn many to righteousness. The sovereign purpose of every exhortation to walk in holiness that we find in the scriptures is yes, to bring honor and glory to God through the righteous living of his people, but also that the righteous living of his people might turn others to righteousness as well. Remember, we said this last week, the kingdom of God is not to be hoarded. Let's put it this way as well. If the grace of God has appeared in Jesus Christ, bringing salvation, and and make sure you note the word Paul uses, for all people. If the grace of God has appeared in Jesus Christ, bringing salvation for all people, then that very grace compels you and I, who have received it, to take that salvation to all people. And yes, that does mean in India around the world where the name of Christ has never been heard, but it also even means to your neighbor who maybe they've heard the name of Jesus Christ their whole life, but because they're drowning in self-sufficiency, just don't see that they need him. If the grace of God has come bringing salvation for all people and you and I have been eternally transformed and changed by that grace, then we are compelled to take that salvation to those people. Now, that said, if, if I am declaring to someone how much, first of all, they need the Lord and that they can be saved by the Lord from sin, And all the while I am declaring this and I am proclaiming this, still knowingly and willingly walking in my own sin. The scripture says that this is like a dog returning to its vomit. I don't know if you've ever watched that before. It's pretty disgusting. Is this to say... I'm going to come to Christ and I'm never going to sin. No. You and I are still going to stumble and fall. Uh, We are going to face the temptation and sometimes praise God through the power of the spirit. We're going to overcome it. There are other times that you and I, we might not overcome it. 
But you know, I, I think that what we think is that the world needs to watch us walking in perfection to find Christ. And I would say this to you, that's not what the world needs. The world needs to see you and I humbly walking in repentance. So when I say intolerant grace, we're not talking about God being intolerant. That his grace is intolerant. Intolerant grace means that you and I, we've been so moved and changed and transformed by his grace that we are just not willing to go back to the very things that his grace saved us from. Intolerant grace says, I will not return to the very slavery that Christ died to free me from. But intolerant grace says that because intolerant grace knows what Paul declares in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love for you and for me and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that in the midst of our sin, Christ pursued us and died for us. He covered himself in the muck of this world and sought us out to rescue you, embrace me despite my filth, to clean me, to purify me, to present me back to the Father. And so now understandably wants me to stay out of the very things that he saved me from. Look with me for a moment in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians 2, verse 5, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves that's yours in Christ Jesus. Think this way. Hey, church. Hey, followers of Jesus. Together, in Christ, through Christ, I want you to think like Christ. Have this mind among yourselves. Well, okay. How did Christ think? What did Christ do? How did Christ walk? Well, Paul says that though he was God, he didn't consider equality with God or continuing to be where he was in perfection. He did not consider his equality with God a thing to hold on to or to be grasped. But what did he do? He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ became one of us that he might save us. As we wrap up this morning, um, the, the Puritans, they call what I'm referring to this morning as intolerant grace, they called it the power of new affections. The power of new affections. What, what will ultimately lead us to walk in holiness is not willpower. Um, it's definitely not guilt. That won't work either. It's not an incredibly inspiring sermon from one of the pastors. It's not. The thing that will ultimately lead you and I to walk in holiness is that we have been deeply, genuinely, supernaturally transformed by the mercy of, and grace of God in Christ Jesus. That's what changes us. 
And I would ask you today, have you considered grace lately? This love for God, it drives out and replaces our natural love and affection for sin with a supernatural love and affection for him. Going back to the Puritans, the Puritans talk about how you see this in a live oak tree. And I don't know a whole lot about trees. Um, I know that I got a whole mess in my front yard to clean up right now. Uh, Probably you do as well. But there's several varieties of, of live oak trees. And there's at least one live oak tree that all through the winter hangs on to its leaves. So there they all are, these brown, dead leaves just hanging on there. And what eventually forces the leaves off of the tree is not the blistering cold of the winter. It's not the howling force of the wind. What it is, is the new life that comes springing and bursting forth out of the branches that finally says, I'm sorry, you're dead and you have to go. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to close this morning. Paul says in verse 16, 2 Corinthians 5, 16, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. I want you to think about that for a minute. You know how many people in my life I regard according to the flesh? Because I drive by people, and because they're going too slow, they're an ignorant human. And Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, no, no. I created that man, that woman. I mean, we could probably stay here all day and think of all the ways that we regard people according to the flesh all the time. And when that happens, friends, I I say this to you this morning to, to warn all of us, we're not walking in the spirit in those moments. Even though we once regarded Christ this way, we regard him this way no longer. That's probably a good idea. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, God placed the sin of the world on him, that in him you and I might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, 
then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, my friends, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The grace of God, the Son of God, has appeared bringing salvation for all people. The Spirit of God has come to guide us and lead us into walking in holiness and righteousness, waiting, longing, hoping, and living for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us, is refining us, and calls us to turn many to righteousness, to shine like stars in the universe. I ask you this morning to consider the grace of God. It is a great thing. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we ask you to search us, search the depths of us, Lord. We know that you know our words before we utter them, you know our thoughts from afar. You know the peace in our heart, the chaos in our mind, Lord, you know it all. And we just ask you this morning, Lord, to empty us of ourselves that we might be filled by you. Lord, we pray that we would be so stirred today by your love and your mercy and your grace toward us. That we would determine to live lives walking in repentance. God, we pray that you would humble us this morning where we are prideful. Lord, that you would strengthen us where we are weak. Father, amongst us as brothers and sisters in Christ, would you restore us where we are broken? said is for the grace of God has appeared the 
grace of God has come. Bearing the greatest news ever known to this world. If you know Jesus Christ, I just want to encourage you, exhort you this morning to cry out to him. Lord, I know that you have redeemed me. I know that you long to purify me and refine me. Lord, would you, would you do that in my life that I might be used for your kingdom? together I just want to encourage you to respond to the Lord with a very honest and obedient heart if you need to come to the cross or the foot of the steps and pray I just encourage you to come if you need someone to pray with you some of our pastors, elders, leaders are going to be in the back at the tables. Lord, we pray in these moments that you would be honored and glorified, not just through our voices, not just through our song, but most importantly, Lord, through the surrender and obedience of our lives. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.